0: This episode is sponsored by Kangaroo Jack Fitness, personal training that goes above and beyond to get the best results for you. of the Game Time Podcast. It's the international break, which some members have took more seriously than others. Tom's off to New York. He thought that's what we were doing. But luckily, Tim and Ryan are with us. Guys, how you doing?
1: Hello, mate. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Very well. Oh, right, let's just get into it. Is it coming home, round two? Maybe. I mean, what, what, what do you mean? What, what thing? What, what is it? <laughs> no, <just> the <laughs> we're playing for <laughs> anything. Is anything coming home? Of course, is this, a talk- le- is this a league? Is this a trophy? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll never, no one knows. Of course, we're talking about the UEFA Nations League in this podcast. And I thought, yeah, let's kick it off. England are through to the semi finals. They beat Croatia at the third time of asking in 2018. But this is the important one, isn't it? They're through to the semi finals. Can they go all the way? Can they bring home... Is it silverware? Yeah, it is. Yeah, why not? Ryan, what do you think? Is that more for winning? I think you get a trophy. Oh, fingers Fingers crossed. (laughs) It'd be really anticlimactic if you didn't. (laughs) Just do a lap of honour. They could
2: just get some gift vouchers. (laughs) They gonna get like a 10 quid iTunes voucher each.
0: Fucking 10 quid iTunes voucher. Those are the days. (laughs) Sounds like a 10-year-old's birthday party. But
2: off-topic, we are going...
0: England beat Croatia, as I said, a good game and and one that showed the steely determination that this England side has developed under Gareth Southgate. No, Ryan? Yeah, definitely. Um, I was very very impressed by the way they sort of like um, the the
1: changes he made and sort of like the the way they sort of seem to step up even even after it got went to one-all, there was a point where I was, I remember I was shouting at the telly because it looked like Lingard was going to go off and uh, celebrate. And I was like, no, just get the ball. We need another goal. <laughs> and he looked like, and I thought like, no, you can't waste 30 seconds Millie rocking in the corner. Um, <laughs> but it was like, so it was really good, like sort of mentality, sort of like, okay, well, we still need another goal. And obviously like, we got one in the end. Um, but yeah, I just think like I so said, mental character is, um, was just looked really, really good. It just looked really spot on. It's what he wants, Southgate wants from his team and um, like I say you said about like do we have a chance I mean we've got a better like a good a chance as anyone else really like you've got the teams in there like Portugal being the hosts obviously might be w- more up for it than the other three nations but I mean like I, I can't see any team in there that are definitely going to batter England like there's no like Brazil or like Germany or well when you say Germany they got relegated of course but <laughs>
0: um yeah like I say we've got a- we've got a good a chance as anyone. I agree with you. I mean, if you look at the other teams in there, Holland, Portugal and Switzerland, none of those teams would scare you particularly. Tim, I know that the semi-finals aren't until next June, so there's a still a lot of football to happen. But what, what do you think of England's chances amongst those four teams?
2: I mean, I'm almost tempted to call them the favourite, to be honest, um, with the oh. World Cup. And I know it's a risky saying that, isn't it? Um because the, yeah, there aren't a you know huge sort of superpower team in there, but like I think definitely Holland and Switzerland after they beat Belgium five two, uh, they can definitely show that they you know they're capable of performances. Um, so I think we were interested. I think that'd be a, some you know some actually really close matches, um, and I, I think it's one of those ones that literally could go either way. It just depends on who you know who, who turns up on the day and sort of. Improvements the team make in the sort of seven months up until the uh, the semi-finals and final.
0: I think one thing that I learned from the UEFA Nations League is that no matter who he coaches, Roberto Martinez cannot organise a defence for love nor money. Very <laughs> accurate. <laughs> very. The, very the accurate. man doesn't matter if you give him Antolin Alcaraz or if you give him Vincent Kompany. That team will still just ship goals for fun. Uh, you mentioned the the Switzerland five two, they came out after going two 0 down to Thorgan Hazard, which I thought was brilliant. Portugal in the end eased in a group that that could have been a lot more competitive, but Poland were the first team to be relegated, and Italy couldn't score any goals pretty much, so <laughs> so they just lounged around in second. What and a in-
2: shock! <laughs> <laughs> I'm so surprised.
0: And then Holland left it so so late, but oh, it was it was brilliant to watch. And and that brings me on to the point. You know what? For everything that went on before the UEFA Nations League, I think it's been really successful. Especially when you look at how Holland Germany ended last night.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like that was a big one for Holland. Like I say the um, usually the traditional answer to whenever you speak to sort of a German football fan or, or someone that likes football in Germany, they always say, like, well, who is the team you always want to beat the most? It's always the Dutch. They have such bigger beef than with each other than, like, with... We think England v Germany is a big deal. It's nothing on Germany v Holland. So, <laughs> for them to sort of, <laughs> turn up, like I said, with a two-goal, two-goal lead, Germany, and then to sort of let a two-goal lead slip to let the Dutch qualify for the finals, that would be equally celebrated in... Amsterdam and it would, as it would be absolutely just sort of like hated in Munich. It's, it's, it's really sort of like a real big deal. And like I say, it's a, it's a huge result for
0: for the Netherlands. Oh, absolutely massive result, especially when the fact that they came from two 0 down and you know what Virgil van Dijk, there's been talks that he's Chris Sutton talks in general, that he's the third best player in the world surely right now he's up there with some of the best central defenders in the world because not only can he defend but he seems to come up with some very important goals Tim what what do you make of this new look Holland side under Komen?
2: I mean it's weird isn't it like it's weird they've got Ryan Babel starting <laughs> in their first 11 like yeah but then they've also got like they've got you know it's really promising when they've got players like Van Dyke and De Lick starting at centre-back and pie playing really well. Frankie de Jong is, uh, you know, starting as well. He's only 21. And he's having a great season. Like, there's definitely promise there. They just seem to have, like, half a team that, you know, could go on to do really well. And then sort of they just filled in the gaps with, like, paper mache. Um, <laughs> you
0: are completely right, though. They do have promise there. He actually scored against Germany. Yeah. Very you nice. Know, <laughs> <fair enough.
2: laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't help it. I'm sorry, Tim. Carry on. Um, I'm disappointed. No, like I say, they've got some really, you know, they've got some standout standout players, but um, I don't know. I think now's a very testing time for them. And I think, you know, if they could go on to win the Nations League and, you know, kick on and start, players start developing even more, that's great, or it could just sort of filter out and they just become a, you know, oversight like they have been for the last, well, eight years, basically. Um, It's very testing times for the Dutch. Yeah, I mean, they did make
0: it to a World Cup final in 2010 so they, they've not, they've dropped off a bit maybe the last few years, maybe, maybe That's it's a little I, bit, that,
2: yeah. That's maybe a little that aggressive. Like, they, they got to such heights and then they haven't really done a huge amount since, but you know, again, this, this could be their resurgence. I, I'd also argue
1: though that they did also get to the semis at the World Cup in 2014, like, it's not that bad, <laughs> I mean like um, I, know, I know they failed to qualify for the last two tournaments, which is fair enough and like um, obviously sort of that was taken with a bit of a sort of a dismay in Holland from from I remember sort of when I was watching the highlights and everyone was saying like they couldn't believe they'd not qualify for either tournament. But you said about like Ryan Babel and say like obviously he's maybe had a bit of a an interesting reputation from his time at Liverpool. But um, I'm actually quite glad that Kooman is seems to be like picking players on form rather than just saying like mm. oh I'm not going to consider you because you're 30 plus or you're playing in the Turkish league. That does show it feels like he's showing the same attitudes as Southgate. And it feels like that, that attitude, in terms of whether it is picking players because of form, like, for example, you've got like, people like Sancho for England or, or like Babel for uh, the Netherlands. It's, it seems to, that's the right attitude to go about international football. And it's, it's glad to see, I'm glad to see two managers seeming, like, seemingly having some good successes, like using that sort of method.
0: There used to be a real issue in the Dutch squad with egos. It was like well known in the media that even during that run to the, the final of the World Cup in South Africa and then the semi-finals, there there always was an ego that threatened to destabilise that Netherlands team. And I think you're spot on with the fact that now that he's picking players on form, I don't think there are bad egos in that team now when you, you had the likes of... I, I, I can't really pick players because I, I didn't know... Who the egos were, but when you have the likes of Van Persie, Schneider, Robin, all of those big game players who probably all want to be the centre of attention, it probably shifts the focus a bit. So that's probably why they've gone through a rebuilding stage now. A bit like a bit like England have, they've gone through a rebuilding stage. They don't rely so much on your Gerrards, your Lampards, your big names. Now they just play who's in form, and they seem to be getting results, and that seems to be working quite well for both of those countries. Bringing it back to England slightly, it was a really, really good performance against Croatia. Harry Kane scored. I didn't realise that was his first goal since he scored against Colombia in the World Cup. Do you think now that shows that it's not just a one-man team? Harry Kane doesn't have to perform all the time for England. Maybe as a Spurs fan, Ryan, you've probably got more, more of an idea. Is it better that he doesn't have to be the lone man, yeah, I feel like you see you see that in when he plays for Spurs and England,
1: Um, like that that game against Spain when he sort of was responsible for partly setting up sort of two, well two sort of three of the goals and he was sort of playing almost like as a sort of defensive forward and mm. um and he sort of w- was allowing Sterling and Rashford to run on past him. He sort of he can set goals up as well as well as actually just scoring them himself. So, yeah, like I say, I, I've seen him do that for a few years now, but it's good to see like the South gets cottoned onto it and think, oh, yeah, he, he
0: can score goals, but also he can also set up like teammates as well, which is good. He is a complete centre forward. I think it was was it Zidane who said he's like the most complete centre forward in world football at the moment. And, and he's proven that with um, with a really good finish as well. I mentioned teams having to go through transition. Is that what we think is going to have to happen with Germany over the next few years? They did not have a very good twenty eighteen whatsoever, and the UEFA Nations League basically was the shit cherry on the very shit cake for them. Tim, what do you think? What do you think going forward for them?
2: I honestly don't know. I mean, we saw Germany get relegated. It's the first time uh, they've had a minus goal difference in a calendar year in sixty two years.
0: Jesus like, Christ!
2: There's mental. Um, I don't know what's gone wrong for them because they still got... Well, before the World Cup, you said they still had a load of decent players, uh, a good manager. Nothing really seemed to change and they just sort of faltered. Um, and they've been relegated from the Nations League as well. So it's not like even it was a one-off sort of thing. Like they were in just bad form for a month or something. Like they're genuinely just not playing well. Um, they've got young players in there. I don't know... There were stories come out of the World Cup that um, Tony Cruz had said that Leroy Sane had a bad attitude to, you know, Germany and didn't really care if they won or lost. I mean, obviously he didn't go to the World Cup, but if that's a thing that's mirrored in the, the German camp about players not really caring about Germany anymore, which sounds a bit strange because um, they've always cared about the football, but maybe that's something. But like, it doesn't seem to be anything really obvious that uh, why they're not performing.
0: It's a strange one because through my lifetime, I've seen Germany go through two stages. I mean, the first tournament I avidly remember was Euro 2000 and then 2002 World Cup and 2004 Euros. You had a very different Germany side to the one you see now. It was based on like players like Oliver Neuville and like those sort of old guard players, whereas now they've got a completely younger squad, do you think they're going to have to be blooded a little bit more, Ryan? I know you're a Bundesliga fan. Do, do you think that they're going to have to be blooded a little bit more at international level before they, they get to grips with it? Saying that, fuck it, I don't know what I'm talking about. They won the World Cup. What am I, what am I even talking no, about? Mate, Jesus, you're making out like they're really... Fucking hell. No. Yeah.
1: No, it's, it's, it's sort of, I know what you mean. Like, we've talked about it before, about this idea of, like, teams sort of peaking and troughing over the, like course of a decade and it's one of those things where like at the minute you look at Germany you think oh it's okay they're just going to sort of maybe just have a couple of years when they need to rebuild but like they still have a really bloody good squad and Mm. it's ridiculous to say that oh oh, like they're they're being like they've still got poor players because they've got really really good players and like I say maybe it's just a it's just a blip I can still see it but then the longer this goes on the less it becomes a blip and more it becomes just how they play
0: so like I say they need to bounce back next year really yes yeah, they they really do well, they'll be in Group B now, and obviously we have no yeah. idea what group that's gonna be and who they're gonna play, but you'd think they they should be dominating teams in Group B. Mm. Slovenia been relegated to League D, yes, that was yeah, I saw that I saw that flicking through it earlier. I mean that's crazy finish below teams like Cyprus, for example <laughs> oh, dear. and and Slovenia. Not a bad. They've got some decent players, but like they're not. I mean, they're not amazing, but they've been at World Cups. They've been in tournaments. So to see them drop down to mm. is, is League D, the the likes of Gibraltar and yeah, and all yeah, that jazz,
1: some, San Marino, etc. Yeah. So I mean, the team. The way it's obviously sort of. um the way it's been sort of designed, there's always going to be maybe like a, a big, a bigger team in the league mm. below where they're supposed to be. Like I say, obviously this time it's Germany, but it could have easily been like Italy or Spain this time round. Um, and you've got like teams like um in going into League C, you've got like relatively big, like ish teams going into League C. And like, like I say, there's always going to be a big, a bigger team in going to League D. But like I say, Slovenia, they they always seem to be drawn with England. <laughs> and, <laughs> in qualifiers, and they always seem to give giving them a good game. So, like I said, to see them um, going into League D is a very big shot.
0: Yeah, that, that is an intro. I, sorry, I just wanted to bring that up while we were talking about relegation, because I thought it was quite an interesting thing. I'm not sure we put that there, but... Oh, wow. wow. That's, ah, nicely done. Nicely done. Very humble of you, also, not to say. Um, but, yeah, it's been been an interesting UEFA Nations League week. What do you guys think of, of the tournament, in, in its whole. I mean, I know we're not done yet, but we've got to wait seven months till till it's finished. On the first whack round of the group stages, Tim, how have you found the tournament so far?
2: I mean it's interesting. Like it it just it it gives sort of international breaks a bit of a purpose as opposed to just playing crappy friendlies when you know the qualifiers for the Euros and the World Cup aren't on. So like it definitely makes it interesting and you get some cool matchups that you probably wouldn't get otherwise. Um, but it's just a bit weird the fact that they've got to go, you know, wait, yeah, seven months between rounds. um, And that it's not like a tournament thing. It's, you know, you don't have the same players in each one and whatever. So it is is strange. Um, But I think it's a positive thing at the moment. I think at the time we'll tell next year when, yeah, like you say, Germany are in the group below and you've got the sort of rubbish teams like Cyprus that get promoted or something, um, and then you've got matchups like that. Whether it sort of ends up meaning a lot less, I don't know. But you know, it's interesting.
0: Interesting, definitely the right word to describe it. I
2: think I, you it's know
0: what? Really brilliant. I think it's. Yeah. fantastic. I think it's the best thing to happen to European
1: or uh, international football since they introduced the Euros in 1960. I think it's brilliant. Like I say, it's giving, not only is it giving a chance to sort of teams to win another trophy, but also um, it's also actually giving teams that maybe have a bit of a lower um, rating a chance to play teams that that surround them in the rankings and get better. Like I said before, like teams like like Gibraltar have got their first couple of competitive wins in this cycle of games. You've got like teams like Andorra have picked up draws against so-called better teams. And then you've got like even let's like, say um, like look, a team like Luxembourg. I mentioned Luxembourg before about like how they got like a 0-0 draw with France in the last World Cup qualifiers. It's it's only going to be positive for them. And if it, if this ends up making the Euro qualifiers more competitive, then that's it's fantastic. It's the best. Like I said it's a really good really good innovation. They get a lot of stick. UEFA, but like I said, they,
0: I think they've done well this time. It's the best thing since sliced bread. <laughs> That's what. I, I wouldn't be surprised
1: if other, other confederations don't take um, the hint as well. Mm. Like maybe do like one in Asia, one in Africa. Maybe I know. Obviously, they have. the African
2: an African one, one. Definitely. Yeah,
1: like, but just like something to just spice it up a little bit more. Um, obviously, maybe n- wouldn't work as well in South America and North America because there aren't that many teams. But in Europe, it's a bit of an oddity because it has obviously like fifty-five teams in it. But. I think it's just great. Like I say, it just has that competitive edge. And anyone that says that it was boring needs to go back and rewatch the last 15 minutes of the England games. It was like a game of five to sign at one point.
0: I thought, honestly, most I haven't watched a lot of the games over the UEFA Nations League, but of the ones I've watched have been really good, bar the nil-nil draw between Portugal and Italy. That was, that was just a terrible game. But of the other games that I watched, I don't think I've cheered in a while, as loud as I did when Virgil van Dyke scored that 90th minute equaliser, because it actually meant something. Normally, international friendlies, oh, well done, he scored a 90th minute equaliser, but that sends Holland through to the next round. That's just, yeah, I I'm, I'm agree with you, right? I think it's it's absolutely terrific. Um, moving on, still talking about it roughly, but just, a, I thought this was quite funny. I'm not sure if either of you saw... Um, Sky Sports's quick little wrap-up of the Denmark Republic of Ireland game. Uh, I didn't know. Passed uh, me by. So this is just this is from like the Sky Sports uh, live feed commentary. As soon as full time hits, it just says, "In truth, this was a game that could put you off football for life." Twenty-eight shots in the game and just one on target. Denmark dominated territory but had no desire to win. Whilst Ireland defended in numbers and offered nothing in attack. That's four games in a row they failed to score. A game that everyone's already forgotten about. Hmm. <laughs> I just thought I was of all the the, the amazing games that, that happened that evening with the with Germany Luke lo- dropping a two goal lead and and goals going in across, I just thought that was a nice, like stark reminder that some games are just terrible hmm. and that's fine. <laughs> the, the problem isn't, it? I mean you see the team that Martin O'Neill put out. Uh, I I caught the team lineup at the beginning, and it was it was not fun. It was so
1: it was like seven defenders and then two <laughs> wingers up front. It's like you've got no intention of going there. Like you, you you're playing a different
0: sport. <laughs> <laughs> Is it, he he seems like hell bent on playing Cyrus Christie as a centre midfielder. And I'm almost 100% certain he plays right back for Fulham. Yeah, right, right, right <laughs> back or centre back at an absolute push. Yeah.
1: But <laughs> there is a serious point to be made in this, in like, so far as uh, that, if you look at it, obviously that game was, to all intents and purposes, was a dead rubber. Denmark had already won the league, and the Republic of Ireland had already been relegated. And Martin O'Neill is still playing seven defenders. And it's like... <laughs> <laughs> fuck's sake! Like, there's no point in wasting your time in just playing foot, like defensive football. And like I say, if you compare that to the wales uh, Denmark game on Friday night, which is bloody brilliant, I and mean, if you saw that, like the um, especially Denmark's first goal was really, really well worked. And like I say, it was a complete sort of like opposite of the, the Republic
0: of Ireland game last night. It was, it was it was just a joke, really. Yeah, I, you know what? It seems harsh because. I feel like Wales have got the talent they've got. Like Gareth Bale is one of the best players in the world. Ireland don't have that. But then likewise, they don't help themselves by playing seven defenders. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But no, Republic Island, are not,
1: none of the teams in the British Isles are bad teams. You've got, like, maybe Scotland have had a bit of a slump over the last decade, but they look like they they could get promoted to League B tonight, which would be a good thing for them. You've got Republic of Ireland have made the last two Euros and not exactly... I mean, they didn't do well in 2012, but they didn't disgrace themselves at all in 2016. Northern Ireland made their first tournament for since 1986, like, in the 2016 Euros, and did not disgrace themselves. Like I say, Wales have good players and a seemingly good young manager and Ryan Giggs. And it's like... No one is back, but they're playing like they're, they're a team that's literally been assembled. Like You look at a team like Kosovo in League D, who literally have only been allowed to play for like the last three or four years um, by UEFA, they've put up so much more fight than the Republic of Ireland have in these last couple of Nations League games. And they've barely even been allowed to compete as a country. And it's like, well, wh- what, is the, what is the end game here? <laughs> you're just trying <laughs> to get Roy Keane in as a manager in a few years' time. What's the point? If you're going to get Roy Keane in as a manager, just bloody do it. Like, Don't just get... Um... Don't just get Martin O'Neill to just like basically be a caretaker manager and then get him playing negative football, which is going to um, sort of demoralise the players.
2: That game's still probably more interesting than the game that I saw earlier, which was the China-Palestine match. I mean, I didn't watch it uh, for fear of human rights violations, just watching it. But um, (laughs) it finished 1-1. There was fifty percent possession for either side, one hundred percent pass accuracy, and one shot on target for each team.
0: Bloody hell! Clinical, just
2: useless. I mean, they they need a nations league for teams that have got awful human rights and governments.
0: I feel like that's just going to ex- exacerbate things because then you're just putting countries together that can start talking, and uh, yeah. that's just that's just bad for everyone.
1: <laughs> yeah. The Nations oh. League in the Middle East would be very
0: interesting <laughs> Yeah. Oh we are not going into that Right after the break we will be talking all of the interesting talking points from the last week of football and whilst we're talking about deplorable human rights Qatar also played a friendly we'll talk about that after the break If you're an MMA fan be sure to check out the new Switchkick podcast We preview upcoming events, discuss the big UFC and Bellator news, and John from Philadelphia drops in to give us a few betting tips. To listen, search for Switchkick MMA on SoundCloud or Switchkick in the Apple Store. All right, welcome back from the break. As I said, we'll be finishing off with talking points, but Qatar played a game, and you know what? They drew 2 all with Iceland. Which I think is a very fair result regarding everything that's been said about Qatar and hosting this World Cup. They've not done themselves a disservice by drawing two-two with Iceland. Tim, do you that's think
2: a solid result?
0: Do you think that's more interesting than China Palestine?
2: Uh, probably. There were two more goals. I mean, did they both have a hundred percent pass accuracy and fifty percent possession? Probably not. Um, so yes, it is more interesting.
0: Could not could not have told you. Uh, there were three <laughs> shot. There were three shots in the entire game though. Ooh,
2: um, I'm I, not sure. Then I feel oh, there like were three shots, but four goals.
0: Yeah, I feel like someone's fiddled with the stats on this website because it says Qatar had 100 percent possession.
2: <laughs> Someone from Qatar has been on that.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, if that's if that's the way they're going to win the World Cup, that's the way they're going to win the World Cup.
2: Uh, what by right. lying to everyone afterwards?
0: North Korea did it, and it kind of worked. <laughs> um, right, before we move on to our talking points to finish off the podcast. Harry Redknapp's on I'm a Celebrity. How have, oh we not, how have we not picked this up sooner? And I, I don't know if any of you have seen it, but the first Bush Tucker trial he had to do, they made him do it from a car window. Whoever the, produ- <laughs> whoever the producer of that show is, they knew what they were doing.
2: They're a genius. It's so funny.
0: Ah, oh, they are a genius indeed. Right, after all that little bit of silliness, let's go on to our talking points. Who wants to kick us off for the talking points from this week?
2: I'll go. Go for Tim with Joshua Kimmich being a petulant little child and trying to mimic uh, Brozovic's defending at a free kick. Except Memphis Depay called it over the wall and not at him, so he looked like an idiot.
0: <laughs> oh, Kimmich, you are the second coming of Philip Lahm <laughs> That is, I stand, I
2: stand by that. He just looked like a bit of a twat when he was on the floor and the ball was in the air. <laughs> oh. Um, Someone said it's not been a fun week for
0: Dejan Lovren.
2: Yeah, he's not, he's not, not having a great time. He had public spat with Sergio Ramos. Uh, he lost in the last minute to England. He's relegated from the Nations League. And he's now being investigated for image rights. Um, so he's not having a particularly fun time.
0: Oh, Dejan Lovren. Uh, he, I mean, he's not really had a fun 2018. He's lost a World Cup final, a Champions League final. And now this. But he is world class. He is the best centre back in the world, according to himself. <laughs> Ryan, have you got any talking points from this week's football?
1: Um, not necessarily about the football, but I sort of just got a, um, a sort of a, what is called like a nice story. You've got obviously different different stories maybe coming to light because of the international break. A, a nice one I've just seen uh, earlier when I was sort of like, june was at work there's a burnley fan at the minute who is um sort of trying to run to all of the um premier league away games that they're going to play this year so at the minute so he's oh. going to be trying to do about 45 marathons in sort of 38 days um so it's about two million steps overall let's like say this guy he's um his name's scott cunliffe he's doing it for charity um and he's got sort of like it's pretty pretty gutting coming up in December because they've got um, Burnley go down to London three times, so they play they play Palace and then they play Tottenham and Arsenal both away. So obviously he's going to have to start from Turf Moor, go um, down like 400 miles and then um, back up again. So, so it's going to be pretty much about two weeks worth of running, pretty gutting. Um, and not just rent a hostel. Well like I say yeah I think that, um, that's um obviously he might he might have to sort of take a couple of breaks um but he's yeah he's sort of like doing it for sort of like a community charity for around near Burnley um about like um to improve like mental mental health of people and like physical health of people so like i say it's, it's it's for a good cause it's just one of those things that I'm just, like, I definitely know I couldn't do, and therefore i'm really like really um really like sort of um happy that he's doing it, because otherwise, if it was left to people like me, I just wouldn't ever be able to do anything like that. I wouldn't even be able to drive to him, let alone run, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's that's really nice. That is, hey. I...
1: Yeah, it just it just caught me earlier, and I was like, oh, I was just flicking through, um, like, the internet and stuff, and I thought, oh, that's really nice, like I say, especially with, with the international break, maybe, these sort of stories can become a bit more prominent, because, like, there's times like, obviously not just talking about the premiership all the time, and it was, like I say it's just a nice little story, and I say all the money goes to a good cause, so that's always nice.
0: No, that that is really nice and it's nice to see nice to see people getting behind it as well. I like yeah. that. I got Even though it's gonna
1: about. be horrendous and the good Christmas he's gonna be like absolutely gutted.
0: But... He's <laughs> <laughs> a modern day Forrest gump. Um try to do it on boxing day after having all that food the day before. I know. I'm oh. gonna have to just take in like four dinners <laughs> just to get the calories. Oh, I would I it's already making me tired thinking about running that <laughs> fast. Um I s whilst we're on the topic of sort of nice heartwarming things, I don't know if you saw after the um the Germany Holland game, Virgil van Dijk went up to the referee and consoled him because like I don't e I don't even know how the referee managed to get through the rest of the game, but he found out at half time that his mother had passed away. Mm. Um and had to that, yeah. and had to do forty five more minutes of of a game and then basically broke down in tears at the end. And I thought it was really nice that Virgil van Dijk literally just, just went straight up to him and, and gave him a hug. And I, I can't imagine how, how difficult that is, but I thought it was just a really nice, a really Touched. nice touch that, yeah, e- even in a competitive football match that there, there are still more important things than football.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Let's like say It was nice. I did see that as well. And um, it was, it was really good. Like I said, just, just to see sort of like him to take the time. Mm. Um, to sort of just like say, see if it was okay or not, which was good. And um, like I say, leaning on that, like you said about the, we mentioned earlier about um, Tim Cahill as well retiring. He had like, he did make like a nice speech as well. Um, yeah. On his like, farewell from playing for Australia, which was lovely. Um, and he had like his whole family there and people stayed afterwards to like sort of like um, say thank you to him. So that was, that was nice as well. It's been a very heartwarming version of uh,
0: talking points. <laughs> yeah, it has. And you know what, I, I've enjoyed the heartwarming end to this. Tim Cahill is an absolute legend. He, he scored some great goals. And this is not to be offensive towards Tim, but his bicycle kick against Chelsea is possibly one of the best goals I've seen him ever score. So, a nice a nice way to end the podcast. And he's only
1: five foot nine.
0: The man has got hops via Duncan Alexander on Twitter. The man knows his statistics. He scored, not Duncan, uh, Tim Cahill, has scored... <laughs> One percent of all the headed Premier League goals in the twenty-first century, which is unbelievable. Mental. Five foot nine as well. Can we just go (laughs) back to that?
1: He's so small. (laughs) Oh, that got just got brushed over. He's like smaller (laughs) than a child.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he.
0: He has got one of the best jumps that I've seen Like he would just win headers for fun against people who were like 6 foot 4, 6 foot 5 mm. oh what a man, Tim. Mm. I, you know what after this I'm going to go watch a compilation of all of his best headers,
1: I'm going to go watch a um, Joe Cole one as well, so obviously he retired as well this week and I'm just yeah. going to go watch him just roulette past people
0: in like 1999 <laughs> just, to get, just to get those nostalgic uh, memories going again Oh, Joe Cobb. Funnily enough, I'm pretty sure Tom tagged me in this tweet. He finished his career at the Tampa Bay Rowdies.
1: Yes, yeah, he played in America, yeah, for a bit. He, left, he was at Coventry and then he, like I say, went to over to America. But he was a bloody good player as well. Really good. Like that, yes, that goal was. against Sweden as well. That's the best goal I've seen England score at That's Lynch. Great. This is fantastic. I know he was in like a last group game and we sort of pretty much qualified, but it was just, yeah. He's really good. One of those players, like you, you almost forget about because obviously they go maybe play abroad and you figure Actually, yeah, he was like mm. back in like fifteen years ago. He's bloody good. He's really good. But, like it's just like yeah, he's done well there.
0: Yeah, for for years, Joe Cole was England's answer to a left winger that wasn't yeah. left-footed because he was that good. Yeah,
1: he was like I say, it's one of he just so, sort of gets forgotten about those years he had at Chelsea. It is just
0: it's
1: great. Oh,
0: he was, was unbelievable and. I'm going to stick my neck out. I don't know this for sure, but I'll Google it afterwards. I'm pretty sure he played with Eden Hazard at Lille. Oh, he might have.
2: Oh. He, just, no, he did. because Just going to throw it. Uh, he was the one that convinced Hazard to go to Chelsea. And it uh, was at Lille. And uh, there were various offers for Eden Hazard. And he convinced him that, yo you can do the best at Chelsea. Uh, so, Joe Cole was the one that we had to thank for Eden Hazard's brilliance. All, all blame. All blame. No, no, no <laughs> thank Thank the Lord.
0: It's two for one with yeah, Blade yeah, at the moment.
1: Sorry, yeah. Tim. I'm sure every time he gets kicked up in the air by someone, he's, he's cursing Joe Cole. Like, every time <laughs> he's like, he's like oh, so I could have gone to Spain. Like,
0: could have played in Italy.
1: And then he's just like... It's, it's a even been worse.
0: With that heartwarming and then very comedic end to the podcast, should we call it a night? Yeah. yeah. As always, guys, thanks very much for joining Thank us. Thank you. No worries, mate. See you later. Have a good week. We'll be back next week with a Premier League review and a potential Premier League preview coming in the next few days as well. Remember to like, rate, subscribe, do all those fun things. Tweet us! tweet. Tweet us, email us, Gmail us, whatever you want to do. But have a good week and we'll see you later. Bye!